This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. You join Matt and I aboard the time machine in a brand new year. We're covering January of 1999. This is the, the podcast where we go back in time 25 years, scarily, to look at the big shows that premiered in that month and decide whether they've stood the test of time, become relics or just easily forgotten and discover things that we have heard about or not seen, and in some cases, never heard about and never seen. Matt, where were you in January of 1999? I wasn't really doing much, really. Your your tales are always much more exciting than mine, but this was my GCSE year at school. I was actually the lead in the school show this year as well, uh, Little Shop of Horrors as Seymour, so there you go. There's some oh. anecdotal stuff, so I was probably rehearsing hard for that. That's probably about where I was. But I think everyone wants to know your story because no, it, are we are we are we tales from Wales? We're tales from Wales. Yes, go on, tell us the story then, because you were gonna move to America. Yeah. We'd sold the house. We said goodbye to our neighbours, who we were still good friends with now. What were their names? Steve and Becca. Okay. St- still their names. Um <laughs> So we said goodbye to them and we drove to the airport and halfway towards the airport with all our stuff in the back and a dog in the boot, we were told by the company my dad was going to work for that American Airlines had gone on strike and we wouldn't be able to fly out for another month. So we didn't have anywhere to go, nowhere to live. We'd got all our worldly possessions with us. Uh, And so we ended up on a farm in Cardiff where... I'd been before for some physical therapy treatment and we stayed there for a month and it was a very, very long month. We had no school because we were going to get a phone call any minute that there was a flight. None of my usual stuff, TV, computer, none of it. So no TV? We did have a TV, but it was a very small one. Back in the days where you, you just watched what was on, you didn't flick about. So yeah, I don't remember watching anything. As respite, I just sat in the car outside the place, listening to the radio all the time. So that's not that interesting, but that's where I was. It was a very long month, no schooling, thought we were going any minute, and it ended up being February the 13th that we ended up going. Was that so, a Friday? No, I don't think it was. It may oh. have been. We'll find yeah. out next month. There's a teaser for you. <laughs> you can't Google. So we're doing four shows this week from uh, January 1999, which I hadn't seen at the time. Uh, the League of Gentlemen was brand new and nobody had really seen Steve Pemberton, Mark Gatiss and Rhys Shearsmith before. Uh, that was their first foray into comedic television after a success at the Fringe Festival. Uh, then we've got Mike Bullen, who wrote Cold Feet. We haven't got him. No, that'd be good, though, <laughs> wouldn't it, if I surprised you with it? We've got his BBC series Sunburn about a group of... Holiday reps in, is it Spain or Greece? Was it Cyprus? So not Spain nor Greece, <laughs> yeah. That starred um, Michelle Collins. Do we preface to say we watched these shows about yes, two weeks we ago? Yes, we did. We were... <laughs> then we've got Bill Bryson. Um, he's written a book notes from a small island about an American coming to the UK and all his observations. Again, he's not here. 
That'd be cool, though, wouldn't it? I should do that. So we're going to talk about the documentary that that got turned into, and as well, Jonathan Harvey's sitcom starring Kathy Burke and James Dreyfus, Gimme, 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 which was the first show of these four to premiere in 1999. But first... Would you like some news, Luke? Yes, of course. <laughs> Always. Should we start by talking about The Big Breakfast? Yes. We had uh, Denise Van Alten presenting her final edition of The Big Breakfast on the 1st of January. Do you remember who her replacement was? Lisa Tarbuck, somebody like no, that? No, it was announced a week later um, and this person's stint didn't go down too well and I think they'd left quite okay. quickly. Are they still around in the public consciousness? Yeah, I'd say so. Lisa Tarbuck? No, you said Lisa Tarbuck already. <laughs> no, I don't know. It was Kelly Brook. Oh, they're not around in the public consciousness. Yeah, she's still around. She's the name. I'm sure well, I've seen her on things recently. Still alive, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she took over on the 1st of February, but I just remember this is when Heat magazine launched and there was quite a few cover issues about people aren't liking her. Is she going to quit? Is she going to last? The producer's going to keep her on. The ratings have gone down. Again, as you say, this is the time when nobody had any choice what to what. You know, there was five channels. And The Big Breakfast had been a big deal before that, hadn't it? You know, you had the Chris Evans, Gabby Roslin run. And then Johnny Vaughan and Denise Van Alten were like a proper sort of hit duo, weren't they? To the point that they had like a number three song in the in the Christmas charts. Yeah. I was just looking up, and Kelly Brook has been the co-presenter of Heart London's Drive Time Radio Show, so since 2019. So she is still in the public. Still alive. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? We've got the debut of Holby City. This, I mean, I had no idea about that. I thought it was like an early 2000s thing. I didn't realise it was a 90s thing. Yeah, I remember it quite vividly because my mum was a massive Casualty fan, and it had a whole load of people who's been in soaps as well. So yeah. it had, like, Michael French, Angela Griffin, Nicholas Stevenson, and Lisa Faulkner were all uh, in the in the original cast. And um, was it always 8pm? Was it prime time at one point? Yes. I think okay. it was... The it, question I asked was, was it always 8pm or was it prime time at some point? No, I, it was always 8pm, yeah. Oh, okay. the, I was answering I the first part question of that question. A, yeah. <laughs> It's only very recently been cancelled, hasn't it? That costs a lot of money, but somehow mm. sending like big names across to the Caribbean for Death in Paradise, that's worth spending your money on. You say big names. <laughs> Still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Airline returned to ITV for a second series. God, I loved Airline. God knows why. With Easy did. Jets, now as the featured company. Yes, well, that's how I remember it. I don't know who... Well, it was prior to that, but I remember Stavros, remember people in the orange uniforms at the desk, Tony Robinson's narration. Only the series hour. was Britannia Airways, but that was discontinued. Oh, not yeah. a great advert for them, is it? <laughs> yeah, I loved Airline. Would I watch it now if they redid it? I don't know, but there was something somewhat soothing about people complaining and panicking and getting drunk and... All the silly things that would happen in half an hour. I, those sort of docu-soaps, I really enjoyed. More Big Breakfast news, Luke. Oh, well, um, that's come back quick. 
no memory of this, but uh, Jenny McCarthy apparently was a guest presenter on the 20th of January. This was obviously in the uh, Denise Van Out and Kelly Brook handover step phase. And she apparently assumed a number of suggested poses as she played at Guess the Bulls game with Vinnie Jones. There's so, a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Item appears at 8.30am when the content can be viewed by children. But a Channel 4 spokesman tells Scotland's Daily Record that Jenny McCarthy's performance within this criteria has been stunning and we see no areas where she has let us or the public down this week. And talking of controversy, Channel 5, Luke, there was a lot of complaints about adult content, let's just say, on Channel yeah. 5, which they were synonymous with, weren't they, in the early days? Mm. I don't know how you describe them now, but they've gone from that to sort of programming for your grandparents. I don't know if you went to that Edinburgh TV festival, but Ben Froe, the, the director of the channel, was basically saying that he sort of was, was targeting people specifically who live in Yorkshire. <laughs> That's why we've got the Yorkshire farm, all creatures great and small. Yeah. Jay McDonald, you know. Yeah. Upholding four viewer complaints about compromising situations, a late night erotic anthology series on Channel 5, the Broadcast Broadcasting Standards Commission was that erotic content on the channel could lead to soft porn being shown on mainstream television. The commission expresses the opinion that complaints about compromising situations and another series, Hotline, raises significant issues for public debate. The ruling led to a row between the commission and Channel 5 with its chief executive, David Elstein, comparing the reprimand so the 1960 prosecution of Penguin Books over its publication of Lady Chatterley's Lover. Not the same. First of all, what, what tickles me is that it's four complaints. Now, that is either because people have to write in and they haven't got the time to do it, or that nobody was really watching Channel 5. I'd be interested if we could ever find any ratings from that era. Based on today's standards, they're probably high. They're no, so, not. <laughs> oh, are they not? Okay. Any more news, sir? Yeah, just one more. Again, Channel 5, they had a soap called Family Affairs and initially it was about just one family and their everyday exploits and, and that sort of thing. Really bad ratings as most stuff on Channel 5. Uh, so they made a decision to kill off the entire family. Oh, in no, the center of so the it was soap. just affairs left. In a boat explosion. How did and they get money for a boat explosion? <laughs> and then... They changed the entire um, setting of the soap as well. God. It went from river, a Riverside location to uh, West London. We've boobed here because I would love to watch that boat explosion episode and then the, <laughs> the subsequent one where the soap is about a whole different set of people. But yeah, so that's all your news. And we are now going over to our reviews. So here we are at the reviews. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Hope you had a safe journey all the way from the news. Hope the, uh, the airline wasn't on strike. <laughs> so we're going to start with Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. This is a sitcom from Jonathan Harvey. It stars Kathy Burke, who was riding high off the success of um, Harry Enfield stuff, and James Dreyfus, who was riding high, I suppose, off the success of... Um, the Thin Blue Line, the Rowan Atkinson, mm. Ben Elton comedy. And then, weirdly, he followed me to America and was in a show with Bette Midler and yeah. uh, Lindsay Lohan. 
called Bet. Was it? Yeah. 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 I remember watching that on UK Living. He played like a, I think, like a pianist. That rings a bell. But he's like a comedic actor who I really find endearing and funny because he's just got one of these faces and, and that sort of delivery. But he's had sort of a sad downfall, hasn't he? You don't see him anymore. The last thing I remember him making an impact on was Hell's Kitchen when I was in America, maybe the first series of that. Mm. Does he win? Was that the Jennifer Ellison year and didn't mm. she win? Okay, so she, he might have come second. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, in, it's interesting that this comedic actor who was very sort of sought after in the 90s and did have an interesting career and, and could have gone a lot of different places has sort of faded. Yeah. But I think, Luke, you are very much forgetting his role as Sir Leonard Briggs in the TV movie, the 2019 TV movie, Harry and Meghan Becoming Royal. Do you know what? That had slipped my mind. It's funny how the brain works. <laughs> Kathy Burke and James Dreyfus play Linda and Tom. They are roommates who wake up and discover a man in their flat. He is gay, she is straight, neither one of them knows how this man got there, which one of them spent the night with them, if any. And if you've never seen Gimme, 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 which I hadn't really, I'd sort of seen bits of it. This is the first full episode I'd watched. They're sort of outlandish. Kathy Burke's got this bright orange hair, very almost cartoon-esque. It starts big, with... Big blue glasses as well. Yeah. Starts with uh, Abba's Gimme, Gimme, Gimme theme song sung by them both. It's very much a cartoon it, brought to bawdy, life. Bawdy, I would use, is yes. the phrase. Oh, that's a good word. Let's edit me in saying that. Yeah, it's quite bawdy. <laughs> um, first episode is about them trying to work out who that guy was, they had no information apart from a letter that he left that Linda reads and gets completely misconstrued, doesn't understand what PTO means. And they find out towards the end why he was there. And we won't spoil it just in case you think, oh, I've not seen this. I like uh, Kathy Burke. I like James Rofus. We'll go and watch it. So what was your relationship with this show, Matt? Did you have one? I, I feel like I've seen this episode so many times. I I think I must have watched it maybe on repeats or on Gold or Dave or something. Interestingly as well, this is bears a similarity to uh, the Royal Family in that it got so successful on BBC Two that they moved it to BBC One in its third series. Uh, having looked at the ratings, it was the most watched show on BBC Two, certainly for this uh, first series, this first episode. 6.5 million people watched this first episode. Blimey. In a way, it's like a classic sitcom. It's very, as I, I use that word again, bawdy. Very I rude, said that first. Very, <laughs> very loud. <laughs> All these are caricatures. But I think in a way it worked, certainly it worked for me <laughs> as a teenager. I think it appealed to sort of teenage sensibilities. And I do think Kathy Burke and James Dreyfus have got a great sort of chemistry and bounce off each other really, really well. I was doing a little bit of, of research and apparently the sort of the concept was that Tom and Linda met at a nightclub, both being on ecstasy and decided to live together. And the series is a, uh, a great big come down, according to Jonathan Harvey. Again, I don't think it will work today just because of its lack of subtlety and also maybe some of the ways it portrays homosexuality are very much 
of that, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s uh, sort of understanding of that, you know, this very sort of camp actor character played by James Dreyfus. But no, I, I enjoyed it at the time and it was sort of almost like a nice bit of nostalgia for me. But obviously you'd never seen it before. So I was aware of it. 2024 I, I, eyes might watch on very differently. Yeah, I I kind of took it for what it was. It sort of had that sort of, an, not to repeat myself, um, but that sort of anarchic spirit mm-hmm. that I that I associate with something like The Young Ones. which Young Ones was a lot cleverer, though, yes. than this. But I did like the fact that it trusted the audience enough to get to know these characters with them just waking up in the flat. You didn't know, you know, where who they were, what they were about, and we just spotted them in the day. And I will say, I was intrigued genuinely about why this guy was in the flat and the mystery that they were trying to solve did get under my skin. I, I do remember the pito thing. I don't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I laughed. But, you know, I don't know if I laugh anyway I, I think at things when I'm watching them on my own. Latter episodes, I remember being funnier. As we always say, like the establishing episodes, you have to set up all the characters, their relationships with each other. Mm. I think it gets repeated on gold occasionally, but it hasn't, in my circles, as small as they are, it hasn't stuck around really in no. that pantheon of British sitcoms from that era. And it's interesting that it got the Royal Family treatment because I think when you're watching any show from this period and we watch Cold Feet and we watch Royal Family and those still feel very much like they would work today, like you could play them today and they'd look dated, but the themes are somewhat universal. And and I didn't find this offensive in any way because they're playing outlandish, over-the-top versions. No one's thinking that Linda's really walking around in the world. But um, Kathy Burke actually developed it with Jonathan Harvey. She was yeah. involved in the creative process as yeah. well. When it premiered, people would say, "Oh, it's good to have something that reminds you of the good old days." That you mm. know, the mm. it's it's got it's got a wink back to the nineteen seventies, hasn't it? Yes, it's almost definitely. it's got sort of a step toe and son feel in terms of this like codependent relationship and the claustrophobia of the flat yeah. and the fact they don't go out much and yeah. It didn't really make me want to revisit it. But then again, no. it's not fair because if I'd seen the first episode of most of what would become my favourite sitcoms, I'd probably say that. Mm. Uh, but I appreciated the world. I appreciated that the characters, although they'll grow grow slightly as it goes on, I thought that they were pretty much what they, they turned into is what they are here, I think. Yeah, and this isn't your sort of thing anyway. This isn't your sort of comedy, no, is it? No, not really, no. No. It is all on the iPlayer uh, now, if you have sort of fond memories of it, um, or you've never seen it before. Uh, something what? that is not on the iPlayer and not on ITVX is um, something that we found on YouTube. Bill Bryson, the acclaimed American author. My dad's got all of his books and people always, and other people we know have got them. And I think my brother-in-law has got some and talks about them fondly. And the way he writes is very anecdotal and very relatable and when I discovered that there was a series about his journey to the UK which was the book notes from a small island I kind of misunderstood what it was Uh, and what it is is Bill Bryson 
narrating excerpts of his book while traveling around um, parts of Britain, integrating with members of the British public. He goes and sees Stephen Fry, who I'd forgotten, uh, drives a London cab, or at least did then and did into the early noughties, and goes to meet with cab drivers and, and talks about their etiquette and the differences between what people tip and what people do and and how people behave. That side of it I found really interesting. We only watched the first episode, um, which was about half an hour, so it might develop into something. But it didn't have much of a flow. It didn't have a great rhythm. And it was just one of those little, little an- anomalies, really, that you don't really remember. And uh, I think he's gone on to write on loads of different topics. But this sort of left me a bit cold, unfortunately, and I wanted to like it. And this was your choice. Yes, I know, which left me even colder. (laughs) So I was freezing by the end. (laughs) I think I understood what it was trying to do, and I think if it was to do it again in 2024, it would be an entirely different production. Um, What did you think? What was your initial thoughts on why ITV would do this and who it was for and what it was actually saying, because it didn't say anything to a British audience that British people wouldn't already know. And it didn't seem enough of a fish out of water to me either. So I wasn't really sure what the end game was. It may be very sleepy, Lucas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because he, he's got a, a yeah. his voice is very relaxing. Yes. It, it's sort of almost like a transatlantic voice because... Mm. He spends a lot of this show sort of slagging off most of the... It's like, Blackpool's a dump, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I would stand by that. <laughs> That's one of the things I wouldn't change about it if it was coming up in 2024. <laughs> we watched this on YouTube, and the we way did. it's sort of cut together on YouTube, I really didn't know when the episode No, ended. I kept thinking, is this the end or is it going on? For... Yeah, so I watched was... until the... When he was in Wales with yes. the choir. Is that where you stopped? No, no. I watched until he went in a dungeon and then there were some credits. As well as Stephen Fry, we had Alexi Sale in Liverpool. Yeah. We had Victoria Wood when he was... Oh, see, um... I didn't see Victoria Wood. So you must yeah. have watched more than one episode. You. It you was the one where he was talking about, like, Morecambe and... Yeah, no, Seas- I didn't get there. Seaside Holidays. Have... You saw more than one episode. Well done to you. No wonder you were sleepy. Victoria Wood then was in what was the second episode. He talked about seaside holidays. He talked about how he doesn't like the National Lottery and he preferred it where you could just go into a bingo hall. (laughs) Oh, I used to like it back in the 60s and the 70s when I first came here and everything's too commercial now. So this begs the question that I often ask on the podcast and I don't know whether people themselves when they're watching stuff worry about it, but... It didn't have a focus, and I started to think, well, who is this for? Because if you've read the book, you sort of know his style and his thoughts and takes on things. If you're really patriotic, what he's saying might offend you. It's like the bits I found interesting where he's interacting with ordinary members of the public, like the the taxi drivers in Mm. episode one with Stephen Fry, were the most interesting and were the most uncontrolled bits of it, but they weren't there long enough. And even Alexi Sale, to get somebody of that calibre at that time and then only use them very briefly. Um, I wasn't sure what it's... This feels like the sort of thing that would be on Channel 5 now. I really think we're giving Channel 5... Well, they have, like, 
things where like they send people to the seaside and they meet yeah. like you know like susan Kalman's travels around the uk doesn't she in a yes. little van and meets sort of quirky people you know you don't get the sort of traveling round aspects he just no. suddenly appears in a different city yeah I, I would use the word quaint for this one it was very quaint and i could see someone like watching this before they went to bed which is why it makes me think it was probably on after the 10 o'clock news on itv yeah. Um, sitting there watching it with your Horlicks or your Oval Teen. I was kind of disappointed that he, because everyone who speaks about his writing says how he paints vivid pictures and how it's very comedic and humorous and he makes observations that make people laugh. And I was kind of, I don't think I'd seen him as a person. I was kind of disappointed by his lack of oomph. If you're reading him on the page, you're reading it in your own voice. Yes, yes. And you are... Absolutely. imagining him just based on you what he says i yeah. i think this is i know you don't read books luke but um... i have read books <laughs> there's a caterpillar that was very hungry years ago <laughs> probably was quite nervous to be on screen yes, as well i would imagine a natural screen presence at this no. point he's often like lurking at the side of the screen isn't he yeah. doing his yeah. like his monologues you know, you are conjuring your own memory, your yes. own visions of things. I'm presuming the books are about his memories yes. of coming to the country for the first time, whereas this is comparing what it was like then to what it's like now. So it's it's not an adaptation as mm. much as it is, this is what I thought then and travelling around now, this is what's changed. This is what I don't like about these changes or what I like, you know, these quirky people represent what I like about the UK, yeah. whether they be a Stephen Fry or a Victoria Wood or the guy around the caves, the, yeah. the tunnels uh, or the collector of, of random paraphernalia or the people who are preserving the Welsh language. It's all, you know, it's something we've seen so many times done with a big sort of name at the centre of it, I and, think. And more and, efficiently, with yeah. with more connective tissue mm. than perhaps... Well, have. this is like a... lit. It's like a literary thing, isn't it? It's yeah. more of a... Like a, a poem to yeah. to the country. It is a, a curio, isn't it? Very yeah. much... And it didn't uh, feel like 1999. If no. you'd have told me this was from 1989... I'd have Neither gone. of these shows did, really, did it? Not really, no. <laughs> but uh, that is Notes from a Small Island, which if you're curious about, or you just want something to drift off to, uh, is <laughs> on YouTube now. Next up is uh, another comedy, this one from BBC Two. It's The League of Gentlemen, and I'll let Matt set this up and how he discovered it and where... Hey, I, these... I don't really remember, but I remember... Oh, well, stuck myself in. My... <laughs> I'm sure it was the VHSs, perhaps, that we got, because I haven't got any memory of certainly watching the first series. I remember watching the third series, which was on much later, the third series. They had a, a big gap between two and three. But as you said, Luke, it started as a a live show with the three of them, and they would come on and play these characters, but they would just wear, like, suits on stage, so they wouldn't be, like transforming into different characters it's a sort of very much a hybrid between a sitcom and a sketch show i would say and its influence is like folk horror like the macabre set in a very small town 
called Royston Vasey, which is the real name of Roy Chubby Brown. He would feature later on as the as the mayor in a nice little sort of hint to the to the naming of it. Uh, as you said, Luke, Steve Pemberton, Reese Shearsmith, and Mark Gatiss basically play all of the characters in this, and there is a plethora of of different characters. I think possibly the most famous. Would you say Tubbs and Edward are the most famous? They're the sort of iconic faces mm. that I associate yeah. with the series. Yeah, certainly the noses, and they are the uh, the purveyors of the local shop for local people. Very uh, suspicious of anyone outside of the area, and very obsessed with the snow globes that they uh, that they sell, and uh, they have an interesting altercation with a, a hiker who is meeting one of the Rishi Smith characters, Benjamin. He is visiting his uncle and aunt who are very particular about their house and the house rules and how many towels there are and things like that. Right, well, I better be off. I'm meeting Martin at six o'clock. Then there's the towels. White for hands, brown for feet. Green for torso, thighs and seat. And in the cupboard <laughs> beneath the stair... You'll find the red for pubic hair. <laughs> While the wee wife's away, just a few words on the subject of onanism. <laughs> in this house, we don't masturbate. <laughs> it's not a very pleasant thing to do. Particularly with two young girls running around, now is it? I'd hate to think of either Chloe or Radcliffe tearing downstairs first thing in the morning, only to find you hunched double on the sofa bed, <laughs> pumping your fist. We also meet uh, Pauline, who runs the uh, local job centre, the, re- the sort of courses there, how to get jobs. And the joke there is that Mickey, who is another of the Mark Gatiss characters, gets a job interview but isn't allowed to go to the job interview by Pauline. And then you've got these like businessmen as well. You've got a character called Jeff who is very aggressive at certain points. There's a scene where he pulls a gun on someone because he wants a joke to be finished. So it is all very absurd, very macabre, almost shot-like. I, I would always go back to like a Wicker Man or something like that. I think that's the, the feeling they were going for. I actually went back, Luke, we saw Reese and um, Steve, didn't we, at a thing in 2014 at the Edinburgh Festival uh, where they were talking about this. Um, and I found that on uh, on YouTube and they were talking about how they wanted it to look, you know, because they went from stage, it was then a radio uh, show after it became a stage show and then they went to TV so they were very much led by they had a director who they worked with quite a lot the music I think is quite prominent in this as well and, and creates a mood I've seen this first episode now about three times just throughout the years of trying to and Two. just sort of fun fact, sorry, going back to that, they had a full series commission but shot this episode months before the rest of the series because they wanted to get used to doing a TV series. This was done and then the rest of the series was filmed months later. 
there are definite nods to Inside of Nine, and you could tell their unique style, their twisted style, was there from the opening sequence, really. I did find aspects of it funny. I think the Job Centre lady did remind me a lot of, actually, a show I don't like. She reminded me of Matt Lucas's Marjorie Dawes, um, Mm. you know, who's this weight loss guru who's always berating her students for either putting on weight or, in fact, losing it. The idea that this job centre lady doesn't let them progress and leave the course because where will she be if they all get jobs? She'll have no job herself to teach them. So that that I thought was very interesting. The stuff with the shop for local people, that is the most cohesive part of it and, and the most like what they've gone on to do, I think, and is the most unsettling and I thought was the best executed you feel as an audience member as uncomfortable as as the people who go in the shop and they handled that really well. I think where it fell down, for me at least, is the fact that the bits didn't really knit together very well. I was enjoying bits, then it would go off and do something else. And the bits on their own, isolated, were fine. The bit where Bruce Fearsmith is, as you say, holding a gun out because he wants to hear the end of the punchline, he wants to be told it. I just it. remember Death or Mau Mau. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of it worked, but as a cohesive, connective thing, I didn't think it. That's why it's sort of it's, it's part sketch, part sitcom. That's what yeah. I I I would describe it as. Yeah, you do get arcs with all of these characters. So you get an arc with like Benjamin and the the aunt and uncle. You get the arc with Tubbs and Edward. The Pauline stuff actually has a um, interesting way it plays out. So it turns out at the end of the first series that Ross is actually um a investigator was auditing the classes and fires her from her role. And then in the second did they get that from Sunburn? <laughs> and then in the second series she is on the dole herself and how you know it's her and Mickey together doing different jobs and things like that. So and then she ends up holding Ross hostage. So, it, you know, they do have, like, running storylines with these characters throughout the series, and they do introduce, you know, Papa Lazarou is one of the most famous characters, isn't he? One thing I think that, you know, again, it's, like, feels old-fashioned or feels of the time is the Barbara character, the transvestite taxi driver who's got hairy chest and boobs and who's halfway through... Um, surgery and ends up getting married off to Tubbs and Edward's son in the second series. I can imagine seeing this and, you know, if you weren't one of those people who went to the fringe or saw the stage show or heard the radio show, just seeing this and thinking it was completely otherworldly. Like all cult comedies, if you get it and your friendship gets it. Sorry, yeah, this has a lot more in, in common with the young ones than I say the Gimme, Gimme, Gimme does. Yes, this has got it's more layered. Anarchic feel. It's, as you say, cult comedy. And it is one of those things that if you get it, you get it sort of thing, I suppose. It still stands up and they are incredibly proud of it still, as they should be. But it's just as an episode, it felt a bit muddled in places. Mm. And I think it lacked focus I, for me. I think you... Could attribute that to this is the first time they've ever done any TV, though. This is their first experience of being in front of the camera. 
and doing anything like this. But and in it, a lot I think... of ways, they were very co- like the characters were well formed, mm. and the performances well, they, they, were big. You know, they know in these characters, you know, they've done them on stage, they've done them on radio. Yeah, I, I'd really be interested on in your thoughts on on series three. Actually, I would say that's a different beast from yeah. the first two series. By that point, they know more what they're doing. They've got that experience under the belts. And the confidence in themselves. And the confidence as well. So I'd be interested in your thoughts there. But it's very rough around the edges. There are bits that... I mean, the the death or Mau Mau bit still made me laugh where he pulls the gun. Do you know I've got this gun? Yeah. That that still makes me laugh. That could still be an Inside Number 9 episode, couldn't it? Where somebody is just in a restaurant holding somebody hostage because they want a, a joke told. That felt very much in their wheelhouse. Well, they, even they did now. the Bill episode, didn't they? Yeah, which it reminded me of. Yeah, I don't think it was when we initially planned it, but it's back on the iPlayer now as well. Okay, um, so that is... As is Jonathan Creek. Oh, that would have been... I wonder whether we're having any influence on these things. <laughs> Somebody somewhere's on Daily Motion. We better take them off and put them on the iPlayer. And finally, we move on to sun-soaked, soapy drama, Sunburn with the theme tune sung by the show star, Michelle Collins. It even Which I charted. think you should play here. Oh. Peaked at number 28 in the charts, Luke, from Fat For You. So did I, I think. Um, <laughs> so this is a drama about a team of holiday reps in Cyprus. The holiday reps are Michelle Collins of EastEnders and ITV dramas from the early 2000s, Rebecca Callard, who would go on to be Toby Jones's girlfriend in Detectorist, Sharon Small, who is still very much around, and Paul Nichols would join the show later on. It's written by Mike Bullen. Weird to think this was after Cold Feet because the two things feel completely disconnected. So the first episode introduces us to all the various reps, introduces us to Michelle Collins' character. Um, she arrives on the island and in the hotels where the reps are working, and they are unaware that she is monitoring them and she's going to be taking over as the head of the holiday reps, the Janus holiday reps, uh, and they think she's just a guest. So she's asking a load of questions and trying to catch them out and discover what they do or don't know or how good they are at their jobs. Then there's other side plots, like uh, one of the reps takes a young lad under her wing. He says he's 18, he's travelling alone. He says his parents have died and she feels sorry for him. But then as the episode progresses, he takes her out for a meal. It was all very uncomfortable. Pays everything on a credit card and then that transpires to not be true. There's another story about a group of lads on a holiday that are doing that usual 
lad on holiday thing of the late 90s, early noughties, where they were trying to get with as many girls and had a system of rating how well they perform with each one. You they... forgot about Elizabeth from Keeping Up Appearances and who oh, we... <laughs> where was Where was my mind? <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth from Keeping Up Appearances goes on holiday with her neighbour. Again, this was two weeks ago. Her neighbor... I think a friend. Like they've been, they were talking about how they know okay. each other in the blitz. A friend who I assume lives quite close by. Mm. They had gone on holiday to this resort after losing both their husbands. The first time they'd been away with I don't them. think she'd been... Sorry, she'd lost she'd her never... husband, Elizabeth. Yeah. The other woman hadn't been married, and we found out why later on, I suppose, didn't That's we? That's true, yes. Yeah. The sort of surprising twist is that one of them had booked the room, but there's only one bed. They go down to the front desk and complain and want to get moved, and they can't get moved till middle of the week. Mainly because the, the hotel boss doesn't like Sharon Small's character Yes, much. basically that. They could move them, but... You know, she's a stumbling block for him. Uh, and then it transpires that maybe they don't want to be moved and they're quite enjoying spending time. Maybe they're lesbians now. Was, maybe, wasn't that... may, maybe they <laughs> I mean, it was about as subtle as a brick in the face. But yeah, I think that was the insinuation. Now, we talk on this particular podcast about things that have either slipped from the memory or perhaps shouldn't exist or that feel... Completely like relics. I said about an ITV drama that we discussed called Supply and Demand, which the irony is it slipped from the memory and I haven't stopped thinking of... <laughs> about it ever since. You're just getting weird memories yeah. of Miriam Margulies coming out of that pool from the yes. opening credits. Yeah, I've not stopped thinking about it. I've not rewatched it. I don't need to. It's playing all the time in my head. <laughs> As people say, living rent-free yes. in your head. Yes, it is. I really should charge it. This... Falls on that line. It is very light. It is very soapy. I believe it was Saturday nights. Saturday it? nights. Yeah. The post casualty spot. Yes. So it wasn't. It wasn't intended to be heart hitting drama that we watch nowadays. It was soapy. It was light. It was fun. It was funnily enough the death in paradise thing of we're mm. watching this in January mm. and it's warm and people are going on holiday enjoying themselves. But I just couldn't shake the idea of this being Mike Bullen, who, in my opinion, with cold feet, really set the standard of how you write gentle family drama. And he repeated it several times. He did Life Begins with Caroline Quentin and Alexander Armstrong about a woman in her 40s who finds herself divorced and has to find uh, work again. And that, that was very low stakes, but very believable and very relatable. And Caroline Quentin was great in that lead role. He really felt for her. And did it again to a lesser extent, a show with Rick Mayo. So, yeah, it wasn't like Cold Feet was lightning in a bottle and then he was capable of something like Sunburn. But I couldn't shake the idea that this was something that people would watch because, you know, at this point, I'm sure ITV had the docu-soap holiday reps and people. Well, interestingly, um, Mike Bullen was inspired by holiday reps, apparently, according yes. to Wikipedia. Well, the series was created by Mike Bullen, who was interested in the behind-the-scenes lives of holiday reps after watching the docu-soap holiday reps. The reason I forgot about the Elizabeth <laughs> keeping up appearances thing is because it was completely disjointed from the rest of it. Like, I, I could somewhat understand the young audience on a Saturday night being invested in maybe 
what was the story with this young kid or what the lads were going to get up to and how they got caught by the holiday rep or even Michelle Collins sort of relationship on the island with this guy she left behind years ago. But that story of the, the two older people felt really out of place. I suppose it felt like it's Saturday night, it's a family audience, anyone would be watching. But I couldn't see me sitting down watching this with the family. I don't know, it felt a bit confused. Ten million people watched this first episode. There must have been a, <laughs> some sort of hostage situation. <laughs> I didn't understand what it was going for. I didn't like the holiday rep documentary because it certainly kicked off the whole lad and ladette sort of movement. You saw Britain sometimes at its worst. and I, I think, think it's we... still ongoing, to be fair. Still alive, yeah. yeah. I couldn't reconcile with this. It didn't make any sense. It felt incredibly old-fashioned. The theme tune that she sung... Like a Dennis Waterman-esque yes, thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'm getting sunburned. I'm getting sunburned. I just didn't understand it. It was light and frothy, wasn't it? Yeah. I think this is the sort of feeling you get when you, you watched a Kay Mella thing back in the day, wasn't it? I mean, this yeah. this could have been a K-Mella. Uh, a K-Mella drama. Okay. <laughs> um, I can't believe it took us so long. I know. I mean, as you mentioned, Michelle, this was this was very much the can we make Michelle Collins a thing era. Um, she left EastEnders, I believe, the second time in 96 and then came back for a bit in 98. But there was uh, Real Women, wasn't there? There was uh, Daylight Robbery. What was that one called with Paul K? 20,000-something Sky? 20,000 Acres of Sky. Why do we know these things, Matt? This is no (laughs) use to anyone. Because I did some research, Luke. Again, that's living rent-free in my head for no reason. I can sort of see the appeal of this as a, again, like a light... You don't want anything too dark on a Saturday night, really, do you? So if they commissioned Mike Bullen to do do something light and frothy with, you know, Michelle Collins as the face of this drama, I don't know watching this with, with 99 eyes, but with 2024 eyes, you could tell where that story was going with the young lad. Oddly, I was thinking at the end, surely they'd still be in trouble because he didn't go back to it. <laughs> At the end, did he? he went to, didn't he end up going to France? Yeah. Wasn't that yeah. the insinuation? Yeah. So surely the company would still be in trouble because, like, well, he didn't come back home, so you're still liable. The stuff with the Rebecca Callard character and her interactions with the lads, lads. I didn't like the way that was portrayed at all. That felt like there needed to be something else, like she ended up with the main guy and... There could have been a twist where actually they didn't have sex and, you know, they stayed up all night talking or something like that. But no, that was just the story that they had had sex. And then the Sharon Small character was detestable to the point that nobody liked her in Cyprus or the the bit of Cyprus that they were living in. And then there was the male rep who everyone thought was gay, but was obviously not gay. It's just one of those, again, that's an interesting sort of artefact almost, isn't it? It's like this was a thing that people were obsessed by, the the sort of rep lifestyle. But it's hard to have 
five distinct different characters, really, isn't it? You know, once you have to draw like a backstory and things like that. And why why do people go on holiday, I suppose, and having to yeah. to like have these older holiday makers or this young lad? Like the other things we've watched so far, like you mentioned, supply and demand, you can understand yes. why yeah. that's a thing. You know, it's customs and excise people. Mimi and Margulies in a towel. Mimi and Margulies. Grafters, was that what that one was called? Yes. Ding, Where ding, you couldn't understand ding, that. This ding, is ding. our sort of attempt to do a new RV the same pet with two Big really stars. popular actors. But this, like, as you say, like, they have to sanitise it for a BBC audience as well. Yeah. We can't do, like, holiday reps, which is debauchery and sex, drugs and rock and roll and alcohol and all of that and wet T-shirt competitions. As you say, like, Michelle Collins' character is, like, she's done it all before and she's coming back after a failed marriage. Sharon's small character feels like she's been there for years and she wants more. That's sort mm. of her character. But, again, I would agree with you that maybe a little bit too... I don't know how old she is, but then the other the other actors, I would say, are of an age where you can believe them as as holiday reps. That's Sunburn. That is the time machine for today. And that's on UK TV Play, we should Yes, say. it is. A weird streaming service for a weird show. Yeah, for a weird show. <laughs> Lasted for a second series. Um, mm. Which apparently Mike didn't write a lot of the second series. Yeah. He sort of stepped back. Didn't debut too long after Cold Feet, so he must have been working on both at the same... I know, obviously, Cold Feet had the pilot the year before. Yeah. But they must have been working on both series almost simultaneously because Cold Feet was in November, wasn't it? And yeah. This is January. You would assume that they filmed this in the summer of 98. Yeah. It's a curio, is what I call it. Um, I already used that word, but you go Well, that, that's probably why I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so, that is the time machine there. Uh, oh, February of 99 is where hang we Hang on, hang on, uh, what? hang on. Oh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter and all hang that. Hang on. Instagram. No, 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 you can't get away with that easily. It's We're not time on for the chart, Luke. Okay. It's everyone's favourite bit of this time machine, you know. Not everyone. I've had, I've had letters, I've had postcards, carrier pigeons. And four people complained about it. Yeah. Now, you were saying before we started that you wouldn't remember a lot of songs no. from this time but you were in the car listening to the radio in the car but i didn't have the same way of sort of gauging when things were i don't think because we love to make you suffer as much as possible when we say do. we i mean me yes um i'm going to do uh the top 12 because there oh. are still two songs that we discussed last time okay. which are still in the top five luke that's the way the, the world this is the last last chart of January 99. Mm -hmm. And number five is When You're Gone, Brian Adams' Mercy. That is still a good song. I don't know. That should be in the chart now. <laughs> in its ninth week. At number three, in its twelfth week, Heartbeat Slash Tragedy by Steps. The thing that fascinates me now, because the, the, the chart is streaming, so mm. the current number one has been there for nearly 12 weeks because people keep listening to it on streaming services but if you hadn't bought i think we said this before if you hadn't bought the brian adams and mel c single by the third week what made you buy it on the ninth on the ninth week 
Well, when do you think, oh, I like that song. I'm not sick of it. I'll buy it. I'll own it. Bizarre. I'll start at number 12. I will say five of these songs are on uh, Now 42, yep. specifically CD2. At number 12, it's previously been number one. It's three weeks in the chart. I I referred to them, their last single, as a diminutive boy band, so I will use that again. Three men. No one. Yeah, this is a cover version of a Dr. Dr. Hook song. A little bit of love or something like that? No, no. No. A little bit. More. Yes. There you go. Yeah. So that's on Now 42. Is it? (laughs) Yes, that's track 13. Uh, This one is not on Now 42. This is a, I would say, sort of indie band, maybe rock band. Their lead singer, I would say, was somewhat androgynous, apparently born in Belgium. I'd always thought he was American. Do you know what part of this is helping? (laughs) They, (laughs) I think, had bigger hits earlier in that. I think 97 was their big year. This was their... Follow-up year. Any ideas of the band? Was their first hit a big one? I would say so, yeah. In 98, they had two other tracks uh, that went to number four and number five, respectively. Any ideas? It's not placebo. It is placebo. No. 99. Every me, every you? Well done. Even though it's the other way around, I'll let you have that. Oh, come on. (laughs) Every you, every me. Number 10. Yeah. Uh, This was not on the now. This was a re-release from, I believe it's 1988. Yeah. This is from an uh, American electronic music group uh, that formed in Detroit, Michigan in 1987. Yes, I am reading the... uh, Yeah, I thought you've really looked into this. So this was re-release of their 1988 hit... That reached number four in the UK charts then, and, and it is now number 10. Any ideas? Not uh, Wormac and Wormac. Oh, didn't they re-release Teardrops, or was that 88? No, no, oh, no, no. Yeah. Do you want a clue of the title? Yes, yes. Shares its name with a uh, British sitcom of the 1970s. Oh, that well-known um, dance track, It In Our Pop Mom. That's the one, no. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the act is... Uh, if you live in a suburban area, where may you live? This is the reason I hate this is because I um, come across really... Stupid. Actually, no, it's if you don't live in the suburbs, I suppose. Oh, you're going to have to give me this one. And okay. Take... It's yeah. um, Good Life by Inner City. Yes, okay. All right. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have got there. No. Okay. Number nine, also not on now. Again, I would say indie guitar band... Uh, their lead singer was a woman, I believe Scottish. Actually, this year they would do a James Bond theme. Garbage. Yeah. Now, is it when I grow up? It no. is, Luke. Well oh, done. Oh, yeah. I remember okay, when ne- we got to America, they were using that a lot in the trailers for, was that Adam Sandler film where he looks over to that kid? Big Daddy? Yes. Another point. Thank you. Okay, number eight and is on uh, now 42. I would say an alternative band. Right. Irish band. Irish alternative. 
Uh, the lead singer has recently written all the songs for uh, the Wonka yeah, musical. Yeah, yeah, Divine Comedy National Express. There we go. I love how you got it on that clip. Seven, yeah. I believe, not on uh, yeah. Now 42. Yeah. Skip it. <laughs> R&B, solo artist. Yeah. The only song I believe I know from this artist's two-letter artist name. The title is the original name of a popular Irish boy band. TQ. Yeah. What was their name? West. West on, Side. West yeah. Side. Number six. We are back on the now train. I believe it goes to number one at some point. It's, is it? It's in its second week. It's gone to number six from number two, but I believe it. It goes back up to number one. I'll give you a really easy clue. You'll get okay. the uh, okay. the title of the song is the name of a drink. The title of the song is the name of a drink. Oh, tequila television. There you go. I don't think it does go to number one. Oh, I don't think not. No. Okay. No. Nah. I will bow to you on your weirdly. Of... My mind went. Was there ever a song called Sprite? <laughs> As I said, number five is When You're Gone. Number four is, again, um, we are track 14 of now 42 CD2. It is a um, four-piece African-American R&B group. Oh, I know this one. These are the times. Yes. Who sung it? Give me a clue who sung it. If you were to paint a picture of a mountain, what might you have seen? Hill. That's <laughs> <laughs> if I've already painted it, of course. <laughs> number two, last week's number one, big American rock band. Mm. Offspring? Ha- yes. Yeah, Offspring, pretty fly for a white guy. Yeah, that's it. And yeah. um, number one, new this week, Mm. Uh, dance track it is on now 42 the title of the track is a statement the artist is you don't know me yes you don't know me van helden yeah well done luke yeah i can go lay down now (laughs) i i I will recommend notes from a small island to fall asleep That is the time machine for this week. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this. You can find it on all your podcast apps of choice. Please rate and subscribe to the feed where we host this and the regular podcast, the Custard TV podcast. We'd love some more reviews. Just let people Mm. know that we exist. Rate and review and subscribe. All those things you hear, those popular YouTubers say. that. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. I mean, my assumption is if you're listening, you haven't got a ton, but... It doesn't matter. Tell them anyway. Um, please do, because it makes a difference and just helps us realise that we're not, you know, shouting into the ether. Um, so, yeah, we'll do this again in February and the regular podcast comes out most Wednesdays if there's something worthy of talking about. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure being with you in January you, of 99. Hope the play goes well. I'll let you know how it's going next month. Oh, see, why would you And you, you can tell back? me all about your landing in America. I know. Well, we did. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook.